God, we know you never stop working. We know that you are here with us, that always you are present. And if we can be aware of that, we can partner with you and have an intimacy with you that is greater than we can even imagine. And I pray right now as we get into your word, as we talk about your truth, I pray that you show us what you want to show us and help us to be receptive to it and help us to have the courage and the strength that can only come from you to, to do things about to do something about it, God, what you, what you want us to hear and what you want us to change. God, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name. Amen. 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 Um, so uh, I am joined by Lizzie Carrico and Tawina McNeely. I said that right. And uh, we are doing uh, Rule of Life Part 2, or Rhythm of Life Part 2. Um, this is uh, part of our Practicing the Way series that we've been doing uh, during the summers, the last few years. And uh, Jordan did a great job talking uh, last week uh, just about uh, this concept of, of spiritual disciplines, about these are physical and mental habits of Jesus that we intentionally follow in order to be with him and to become like him. Um, and to really tap into the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's not because of our effort, but our effort creates an opportunity for God to work in us. Um, and so this concept of, of a rule of life um, is defined by um, a, a holistic description of the Spirit-empowered rhythms and relationships that create, redeem, sustain, and transform us. It's talking about a schedule, a set of practices and relational rhythms that can create a space for us to be with Jesus so that we can become like Jesus. And then, and then we'll be able to do what Jesus would do if he were in our situation, right? Because oftentimes we say we're following Jesus, we got to do what Jesus would do, but you can't just wake up one day and just do that very well. You have to prepare like Jesus prepared. And so, you know, Jordan uh, spelled out this idea of rhythm of life, changing from rule to rhythm because it's you know, a little less rigid uh, of, of a term. Um, but the scripture that really he focused on was this idea of uh, the vine and the branches. And so let's just whew, take a deep breath and read this scripture and really see what God is trying to show us here. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Such a powerful image that if we can remain in Jesus that if we can abide in him, that he will allow us to not just survive, not just get through, not just kind of make it, but to thrive and to bear fruit, fruit in our lives, through, fruit through who we interact with. And, and it's this idea of, of a trellis that Jordan talked about, um, that he borrowed from somebody else, but it's a great image of this is the things that we set up in our life to create structure so that we can thrive with God. 
that if we take these steps, that's when then it, it's really possible. And I can totally relate to Jordan. We was talking about just the crazy life of having kids and trying to do what we need to do in our relationship with God, but just feeling like, oh my gosh, like it's crazy. Like we're so busy and it's just nuts. And what we wanted to do today was kind of bring it to life with some, some real life examples. Um, and, uh, you know, Lizzie and Tawina have just been exemplary and they've learned a lot. We're also going to hear from Greg Dillon. He has a video that he did for us. Um, just to, to kind of not make it just this thing that's just in theory, but something that we can see in practice. And so it gives us a picture of how that can look for us. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you, Lizzie. Yeah, thanks, Chase. Hi, if you don't know me, my name is Lizzie Carrico, and I became a disciple about seven years ago, um, and I currently work with the campus ministry at Kennesaw State University. I love them. It is the best job ever. It's so fun and fulfilling, and yeah, just getting to hang out with the next generation all the time is, is such an honor. Um, and you know, I'm in my mid-twenties, so I'm, I'm kind of in the stage of life figuring out life post-graduation and figuring out kind of like, what do I want the rhythm of my life to be? And um, you know, um, in 2019, I know, I don't know if all of us can remember that far back because COVID has made it feel like it's been 10 years since 2019, but um, at the end of 2019, I actually picked up this book by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it was perfect timing, actually, and totally God's humor with me that I read this book and finished literally the beginning of, of March 2020. Mm. And so it was like, oh, I'm ready to, you know, slow my life down so I can listen to God. And then the world shut down to almost help me along in that process. Um, and, you know, I have been practicing the Sabbath now every week for about two years. And it has been the spiritual discipline, the rhythm of life that has helped me the most um, to gain intimacy with God. And, you know, honestly, I, I think I remember just feeling like, wow, I'm doing all these things for God. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm trying to connect. And I still feel exhausted. And, you know, Jordan talked last week about Matthew 11, that rest for our souls. And I wasn't personally experiencing that. And so I knew that something needed to change, and I knew that, you know, it had to be my lifestyle, even though I think sometimes when we hear these things, it feels like another thing to do. It feels like another thing to add to our already full plates. And, um, you know, for me, though, it was worth it, even when um, you see in Hebrews 4, right? Hebrews 4 says, make every effort to enter this rest. And really talking about the Sabbath rest, that God has made Sabbath for us. You know, not us for the Sabbath, right, as Mark 2 says. And, um, you know, this is so opposite of our culture that for me, I've had to weed out this mindset that my worth comes from what I produce and that my worth comes from how much I can give instead of who I am. And, you know, I think, and I love this series. I love every time we talk about this because it's so much more important for us to become like Jesus than to do what Jesus did. And I think for me, I've always had those backwards almost of where I would do what Jesus had done and, and did, but I wasn't actually living how Jesus was living. And so for me to think that Jesus spent a seventh, one seventh of his life practicing Sabbath 
And I thought, if I'm going to follow him, I want to be able to live how he lived. I need to bring this into my weekly rhythm. And I can't even begin to tell all of you the benefits that has come from really just jumping full in, just really, you know, just kind of jumping in without any hesitations and um, just trying it, right? And, um, you know, I realized that if I don't actually be intentional, then the world is going to mold me more than Jesus will mold me. And I think that was actually a very scary thought to think that I could just live my whole life floating down this river and not actually be molded by Jesus and how he lived. And, you know, Sabbath is actually four things. It's stopping, resting, worshiping, and delighting. And one of my favorite, um, you know, authors, he talks about how Sabbath is supposed to be the best parts of Christmas. Like, if you think about not the long lines and the family drama, like, not those things, but the part of Christmas where it's like, you're delighting, you're around people you love, you're getting to sleep in, you're getting to realize that I am enough and God loves me. And that's actually the core of Sabbath that I've been able to experience and it's been so freeing, you know? It's been so, it's so, it's been so gratitude producing. I feel so much grateful to be able to walk with a God who's patient with me, who's gentle with me, and who wants to give me rest. And honestly, sometimes it feels too good to be true. It feels like, no, Lizzie, you're supposed to be out there talking to people, being, you know, helping people know God. And that's true, and I love to do those things, but I love doing them more now that I'm starting with resting and rest for my soul from Jesus. Um, So I just started just personally, I started by just a few hours a week, right? I think I started with like three hours a week because I was so nervous to turn my phone off. (laughs) Do not disturb for three hours felt like a really big deal. And so I started with three hours and then I realized, oh, three hours is actually just enough time for my thoughts to settle. Three hours is actually just enough time for my brain to start stop spinning where I can actually be open to what God is trying to say to me. So then I increased it to six hours, and that was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable because it goes against this culture right. that we live in. But then I started to increase to 12 hours, and now every week when I don't practice the Sabbath, I feel it. It's a deep feeling I have. I miss it. And it's something that I hold on to. It's my favorite day of the week, right? And getting to just commune with God and be in his presence is so inspiring to me and has become my source of confidence. And so I feel like now I am able to be so much more in tune with God's voice than before. And I'm just learning to take this spirit of Sabbath with me into the week and be able to live from a place instead of striving, a place of rest. And all it really took was that first step of just jumping in. Um, but I'm so grateful that I started it. It's brought me to love walking with God so much more. That's awesome. Oh, thank you so much, Lizzie. Yeah, and you know, it's like you said, this, this culture of producing, this culture of speed um, that we're in, it, it, to, to take a day and just rest in God's presence is just like unheard of. And even in, in the religious world, like even in the, the Christian world, I, I was listening to a, a, a preacher he was doing a sermon on this and he said you know if he broke one of the ten commandments he he could lose his job as a preacher but if he broke the sabbath he would actually get a raise and it was just like oh my gosh because because then he'd be producing more like he would be getting more results like in theory but obviously the burnout that we receive like just the getting i mean we can't sustain if god is not sustaining us 
just really appreciate you being intentional and to, just to see the fruit of that in your life is just so encouraging. So thank you so much. And Tawina, I'd love to hear from you. Yes, I'm Tawina McNeely. I've been a Christian for, I think, about 14 years now. Um, and I'm going to go hand in hand with Lizzie. I'm going to share about silence and solitude. Um, and when we read about Jesus' life, we see this so clearly. We see that in Mark 1, verse 25, he got away to lonely places to be quiet. We see this in Luke 4, Matthew 14. We just see evidence of him needing to separate from the noise, from people, and just be still with God. And when I decided that I wanted to start this practice, I decided to jump all the way into the deep end. I went away for a two-night silent retreat. So at this retreat, you don't talk to anyone. There are people there, but you don't talk to each other. And my phone was off. So off. So for like Friday night until Sunday afternoon, did not use my phone, did not talk to a single human being. And I realized the first few hours, like, wow, silence is hard. Yeah. It's hard to be silent, not just like outwardly, but inwardly. Like mm -hmm. it's so easy to be like, oh, I don't want to listen to anything. I don't want to play any music. I'm just going to be quiet. But the, the inner silence of my heart and my mind, where I make room for God to speak, where I make room for myself to hear God's voice so clearly, that was challenging. But it was that season and that two, two days of being there that forced me to like, I'm just going to learn how to silence my thoughts. I'm going to learn how to actually also pay attention to what I think about, because when you don't have anything, you actually pay attention. Like, why do I think about? Like, wow, what's in there? So it taught me, it began to teach me how the value of being silent and the value of solitude, the value of going away. And it doesn't always look like going away for two days at a retreat because that's not always possible. But that can look like the times with God before I'm with him, before I read and pray where I just quiet my heart and my mind and I want to tune in to listen to him. That can look like driving in silence that can look like going in a prayer walk just for the purpose of being silent and i think i learned so much in those seasons of learning how to do that and even now as i'm learning trying to figure it out i don't think any of us are sharing from a place of mastering anything i think we're sharing from a place of like figuring out what it looks like to journey with god very intentionally in the practices that we know are helpful for us and for me this practice of silence and solitude is has done so many wonders for my relationship with God, for my intimacy with him. It's allowed for my intimacy to deepen. It's allowed for me to actually know the voice of God. Because sometimes I'm like, is it me? Is it Satan? Is it God? I don't know. I don't know whose voice that is. But I think when I'm quiet enough, I'm able to learn what God's voice sounds like, right? Like, oh, that's condemning. That's not God. Oh, that's accusing. That's not God. Or, oh, that's just my sinful nature. That's just the way that I, my bent. That's my tendency to go to this place when I'm feeling this way. Or that is Satan. That is God. Mm -hmm. And I think God has poured in so much with his voice into me. Mm -hmm. So during those times, what do I typically do? Sometimes I ask questions and I listen. Sometimes I'm like, God, I have all these things mm -hmm. on my heart. And I want your perspective. And a lot of times it looks like for me asking God, God, what am I missing? What's your perspective in this? Like, what are, you, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing about this situation? And being with him in those quiet times allowed me to tune in and feel like, okay, to hear him speak. And sometimes it looks like God is not really saying anything. He's mm -hmm. quiet. And that's okay, too. Learning how to trust God when he's not saying anything to me, when I need him to hear, to say something. Mm -hmm. 
because like this song, even when I don't see it, he's working, right? Like, so even when I don't hear it, he's right. working. And a lot of times it looks like the answer to my prayer is not clarity, but it's a promise. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. And I think the best thing that silence and solitude has given me has given me a depth of love for the presence of God. I, I, I really believe there's nothing like God's presence. There's nothing better. There's nothing sweeter. There's nothing that brings me greater joy and peace and hope than being with God. It's my favorite thing to do, just to sit with him. But these times of silence has cultivated that in my spirit to, to learn to love his presence and not only love it, but realize that this is the best thing that God is offering me. Uh, I, I've gone through a lot in life to know that God is not going to always answer my prayers the way that I want them to. Mm -hmm. Things are not going to always work out the way that I want them to, but God's presence is for sure promised to me. Right. God is not promising me to answer my prayer in the manner that I prayed it, but God is saying, I am with you. Yeah. I am with you to the very end of the age. And that comes for me when I'm with, when I stop, mm -hmm. when I'm with him, I'm like, okay, you're with me. I don't need to know that right now because you're with me. And um, I think that the times of silence and solitude too have taught me that, have, has reminded me of who I am, what God sees me as, and reminded me of like my birthright as a daughter of God. I, I yeah. believe that my birthright as a daughter of God is to walk in peace, is to walk in joy, is to walk in all these things. So when I'm struggling, I always go before God and say, Father, I'm feeling anxious. And it's like a divine exchange. We, we're doing an exchange. I give him my anxiety, and he gives me his peace. I, I give him my despair, and he gives me his hope. I give him my confusion, and he gives me his perspective. But the, when I stop, I'm able to experience that. And I, I do feel like it's a, it's a tragedy to go through life not experiencing God. It's a tragedy to just know of God like, and know things in our head. Like I want to experience the fullness yeah. of God because that's what he promises through his Holy Spirit. So Absolutely. I do feel like I making those times, five minutes a day, just to be like, okay, I'm just gonna stop. I'm just gonna be here and be quiet. It has done wonders for my own heart to be able to allow God to minister to me and really allow God to do what only he can do. Cause I can only do so much. That's in those right. times I'm like, God move here in a way that only you are capable of moving. Mm -hmm. So that's some of my yeah. thoughts about that. Thank you so much, that's awesome. Yeah, and, you know, we've talked about it. It's something that Jesus did all the time. And if Jesus needed it, how much more do we need to just be alone with God in the quiet? And now we're going to hear from Greg Dillon. Uh, he did a video for us. He's going to talk about a rhythm in his life. Hello, everybody. My name is Greg Dillon, and I'm sorry I can't be there with you this morning. I actually tested positive for COVID-19 on Saturday, so I'm not going to be there with you in person. So I am a, an empty nester. My wife and I are empty nesters, and we have been uh, in the church for 40 years. It was 1982 that we were both baptized. And one of the disciplines that has helped me the most over the years uh, is the decision to read my Bible and pray every day. It was interesting to me because about uh, 10, 15 years ago, I had a work colleague uh, pose a question uh, in a group, and he basically said something like, what's one decision you've made in your life that's done more to impact your life than any other decision? And that was easy. Immediately, I just said the decision to read my Bible every day. I know that that decision has enabled me to embed the scriptures into my heart and into my mind. 
Um, and I know that's something we've talked about for years and years, but I know still a number of people don't have that as a practice. And I just really want to invite you to that as a rhythm of life, first of all. But even if we are people who have been reading our Bibles every day, I know that we can also be plagued by thinking, even though we're reading the Bible every day, that's really driven more by our cultural and personal biases than by the truth of the scriptures. We need to be able to somehow escape what is called monkey mind, where we're just sort of like going on with the same old assumptions we've always had. As Einstein said, we cannot solve the problems we have with the same thinking that we created them with. And I think that that's really true. But how do we get a new mind? How do we get a new mindset, a new paradigm? And so I want to talk briefly about a rhythm of life that I've practiced for the last three years called centering prayer. And what centering prayer is, it's not prayer like we would normally think of it. I'm not talking to God during this time. I'm actually, it's more like a meditation. It's me sort of dropping my thoughts uh, and, and letting go of them so that I can make myself available for the mind of Christ. So let me tell you a little bit about how I practice it. This is my step-by-step -step process. I do this on a daily basis, not every single day, but I try to do it every single day. Um, and I'll, after I spend time reading my Bible, I'll go into a separate room. I sit on the floor. I put a blanket over my head. It makes me feel like I'm in, as Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, my closet. And I basically take deep breaths, I relax, and as each thought comes up into my mind, I simply drop it. I let it go or pour it out. Now, this may sound strange, and you might be thinking, what in the world does that do for anyone? Um, and it, it isn't hard to practice this, but it can be hard indeed to kind of value it. And I think that what it does, like any of the spiritual disciplines, it makes, it's an appeal on my part to the Holy Spirit by making myself, and in this case, making my mind available to the Holy Spirit. So that's my process. It's very simple, uh, but I think it has been transformational for me. What it's done for me in the last three years that I've been practicing it is it's enabled me to step back and not just go along on automatic pilot, but to be able to kind of do research in a sense on myself, my thinking, my values, my words, my actions. And um, it's enabled me to step back and say, why do I think that? Why do I feel that? Where's that coming from? Is that really real and right? I know I've always assumed that, but is that actually correct? And that sort of questioning has really enabled me, I think, to take the plank out of my own eye, as Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, um, and also to just see how my identity was so misplaced. And I found myself as a Christian caught up in a lot of pretending. And also I found myself going to contempt uh, towards people if I felt like they hurt me or didn't value me or whatever the case may be. So uh, this kind of uh, meditation, centering prayer, has really helped me also to become more untethered from what I believe is a lot of wrong teaching and a lot of bad assumptions about God, about the Bible, about what spirituality is, and even about what reality is to some degree. 
So that's Centering Prayer. I hope that was helpful for you. And if any of you have any more questions about it, I would be happy to speak with any of you further about it. Hope this was helpful. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. You know, as, as you guys were talking, I just kept thinking about when Jesus says he's the good shepherd and that his sheep listen to his voice. They don't listen to the voice of the stranger. And I feel like these practices we've talked about, Sabbath, silence and solitude, centering prayer, are amazing disciplines to help us just separate ourselves from strangers' voices, you know, even if it's ourselves, right, like, so that we can really listen to the good shepherd. But I know, like, we have really great intentions oftentimes with these things, but it's just hard. Like, for me, like, I've been trying to go out at 6 a.m., before my kids wake up every morning on my back deck, be alone with God's presence, have this life-giving moment, and then you, you wake up and be, because your two-year-old wakes up at 5.45. And, and, and you're just like, okay, I, I failed. I'm a terrible person, uh, you know, and, and obviously we can't do that. Um, but, like, what are some ways you've overcome obstacles in setting up the rhythm of life for you? Yeah, I can share. I think um, the obstacles for me often come within myself. You know, it's the pressures I put on myself. And um, I actually spent the last month being with some campus students in Paris and Bordeaux, France. And so obviously my schedule would look different than here, not having my day to completely Sabbath. And, you know, I was tempted to feel frustrated, to feel like, like you were saying, Chase, like this is not what I planned. This is not what I wanted. And um, I've, I've really been able to kind of wrestle with God even this past month through those obstacles to realize that God and I are learning how to do this together, that God is actually hand in hand with me, teaching me how to walk with him closer, that I don't, he's just not expecting me to figure it all out, but that I can actually adjust and adapt and find what works for me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what I love is that what works for me and what works for you are going to be different things, but that God meets us exactly where we're at. Yeah. Great. Um, I, Chase, I love that you're trying to wake up early to like do it and your kids are disturbing you. I don't have that excuse, so it's just me being lazy. Um, <laughs> I can't really say I have anyone disturbing me because I, you know, I think it's just a, a lot of like not being intentional. So I have to be honest with myself, like what's eating away at my time? Like what am I giving myself more to? For me, it can look like being on my phone a lot longer than I should be, or I can. I want to do this, I want to do that, and am I creating the, that time? So I think it's just the push to be intentional and the push to create moments of discipline and not laziness, not la laziness or the things that I want to do more get in the way. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's just taking self-inventory and figure out where are you, what's hindering you mm -hmm. in yourself, not outside forces, but inwardly. Yeah, no, that's great. I think that's very helpful. And, you know, I think... We can be intentional when we, we feel motivated, right? And, and that, that's the thing. And, and I hope that this can help us all just see a picture of what God is inviting us into. And I think about this, this scripture, you know, where Jesus is speaking, and, and he says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Just this idea, as we take communion and we're, we're having this moment that Jesus made for us to really commune and have this time with him to understand that it's not just for Sunday mornings, that Jesus is there every single day, every single moment. He's there at the door. If we would just open it, 
we can have these amazing, intimate times with him and, and experience the life to the full that he has in store for us. So as we take communion right now, um, and I'm sorry you guys don't have access to the, uh, the nice bread and, and wine like we do. Um, no, but, but to, you know, really connect with the fact that, man, this, this is just a taste of what we can have every single day. Whatever that looks like for each and every one of us, different forms, different places in life, um, we can have this amazing time uh, and have that rhythm with God. So let's go ahead and pray. God, we are so thankful for your son. We're so thankful, Jesus, for your sacrifice. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for laying down your life so that we could have a relationship, a closeness with you. God, help us to take full advantage of the opportunities that you've given us. Please empower us by your Holy Spirit to not let other things get in our way, but to really create a space and know that you will fill it. God, we are so thankful that you invite us into this journey. You invite us into this space with you. And right now, as we take the bread and the juice and we really connect with your sacrifice, God, help us to continue to connect each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen.